we're back for another episode, man. Breakdowns and Breakaways, episode two. How'd you th- how'd you feel about week one, man? You know, it was like was that like preseason for you, or is it, did we just dive right in midseason? What do you think? Uh, you know, it's uh, well, it, it's interesting. Last week was like the first week of the podcast, but right. the, the Substack started uh, like a week or two prior to that. So, um, honestly, I I'm just over the moon right now with the way the launch of everything has gone has gone. The Substack specifically, I mean, I've I I wasn't so naive as to think that you know maybe only a handful of people would subscribe. Like I I right. knew. I, I had a, a base of people that would support me in that. With that being said, I tried to set very, very realistic <laughs> expectations. Right. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Both for the short term and long term. Well, after a day, I had already blown those expectations out of the water. And over the past couple of weeks, you know, things have, have been moving along quite well. So I, I'm just extremely, extremely grateful um, and thankful for this opportunity and everybody's support. And I, I'm also floored at the way our, our first episode turned out. I mean, I, I keep telling everybody this, but you legitimately deserve all the credit for how well it turned out because you, you've you got, you set us up with this. You did all the production um, and, you know, the people, the people who checked the, the podcast episode yeah. out, they seemed to, to think the production well, quality was pretty great. We, we did get rid of the black spot behind your head that drove me crazy <laughs> and it drove a couple of the viewers crazy. We didn't so. get rid of it. I'm just sitting right. <laughs> In front we of got it. rid of it. We got rid of it. We got rid of it. Uh, before we go any further, obviously, episode two of breakdowns and breakaways. I do, I do have to shout out where we are. I completely forgot to do that last week. I was so excited about another episode. <laughs> of um, but uh, Brandon Lehman has been a, a friend of mine since uh, probably tenth grade. I think him and I have known each other for fifteen or sixteen years now. He's played guitar at my wedding. Uh, we've been in bands together. Um, he has started this studio space little giant uh to for stuff like this you know there's behind us in the other room there is a full band setup uh we've got a podcast room here uh that that anyone can use and um you know he set it up so that we literally just set the cameras up turn the lights on hit record and then when we're done i have the files i need and i go home and i edit everything so i just want to shout out little giant uh for for having this space where we can do this and uh you know if you have any interest in in doing either a band thing or uh, a podcast uh check out littlegiant.io um but yeah man it's it's been a pretty cool time so far these couple, first couple of weeks it's been easy and uh allows us to do what we want to do uh, with all of that said one of the commenters uh, brought up Riley Smith on YouTube and asked if we can kind of do a deep dive on Riley Smith. And the reason why I want to do this deep dive on Riley Smith is because you brought Riley Smith up last week. And you said that Dubis and Sullivan brought him in because of his def- defensive acumen. More of a defensive. Well, it, it wasn't the reason they brought it's him in. It's one of the reasons. It was a component, yeah, it, it was a the component they that they in. had brought up right. that they were excited about. And you brought up a good point that some of the stuff that you had seen on the surface or at first glance maybe didn't match up with that assessment. So I kind of wanted to, to do a deep dive on Riley Smith and uh, how he's going to fit into this lineup, where he's going to slot in to the lineup uh, with Jake Gensel being out for at least the first week or two of the season. Is he going to be a part of the, you know, the, the replacement for, for Jake Gensel, or at least a fill in for Jake Gensel uh, and, and how he 
you know, does he fit in the bottom six, top six? Is he a, you know, obviously he's a penalty kill kind of guy, but if you've watched uh, Vegas, you know that he's also played some power play minutes and scored some power play goals. So uh, just right right off the rip, um, what are your thoughts on Riley Smith uh, and how he slots into this Penguins lineup? Yeah, with, with everybody healthy, assuming, you know, once Gensel's back and assuming that all the rest of the forwards are healthy and everything is good to go there, I see Smith fitting in on the second line with Malkin. Okay. Uh, I, I'm still not really sure what's going to happen uh, with the two uh, top line right wingers and, and Rust and Raquel. Everybody knows that I think Raquel should be playing with Crosby full time, but everybody also knows that Crosby loves playing with Rust <laughs> and sure. that it's really hard to tell a top five player of all time that, you know, you're this not, you're not going to play with, with the yeah. winger that you want to play with. So uh, I'm not sure who's going to end up on the right wing of the second line yet. I'm uh, obviously throughout the season, both guys will end up there at some points. Um, but with everybody healthy, I, I see Smith fitting in on that second line with Malkin. I think they want to have those pairs as Crosby, Gensel, and and Malkin Smith. Um, and I think, and I, I kind of touched on this a little bit last week, um, and, and you were actually the one that brought it up that while Smith's defensive impacts and some of the metrics that we have um, on his defensive play, even though they showed that maybe he's not impacting the game to a great degree in his own end, um, that because he maybe is a more well-rounded player and you know he might not excel in any component of the game, but because he is a little more well-rounded, he might be able to help the Malkin line out in that aspect because mm-hmm. you know Malkin is... I also said this last week, but I think sometimes Malkin's defensive issues get overblown because a lot of the time his poor defensive results or blown coverage are a result of him looking to push the pace up ice yeah. the other way by okay. creating turnovers and hopping in and out of lanes and, and everything like that. So um, I, I think Smith will be able to help in that regard. And, and one thing um, that I came across from Corey Schneider, he he tracks all kinds of different microstats across the NHL. There probably isn't a person on this planet that watches more NHL hockey than Corey Schneider. And his data set showed that compared to other NHL forwards, Riley Smith and the frequency with, with which he touched the puck and had puck touches in the defensive zone was in the top quarter of the league. So hmm. that right there already kind of shows where a little bit of the discrepancy is in the, in the macro okay. output of his defensive impact and then kind of actually getting down to the detail and looking at what that actually is versus just a number that's coming out. Um, beyond that, though, I think another reason that Smith was an intriguing option for for um, them is because he is a pretty good transition player. Again, I, I would I don't want to say that he's he's excellent in these areas of the game or that he's one of the best in the league at it. But over the past several seasons, Smith is continuously among the top forwards in the league in rush contributions, whether that's shooting himself or setting up his teammates. And I think um, as much as I love Jason Zucker and, and his fit with the Penguins, you know, a lot of the time it seemed like even though he was a pretty good skater, it seemed a lot like a lot of the time off the rush, he just didn't really have that separation speed or that ability to to make the most out of those rushes. And he also wasn't that great of a playmaker. Smith is not the greatest playmaker in the world, but he definitely has a leg up it's on Zucker upgrade, in that yeah. regard. And I think, I think that they want to lean into his rush ability, but they also want to lean into his passing ability a little bit to keep Malkin's 
goal scoring at a high level. I One of the things that I noticed just watching him a little bit uh, to get ready for this episode is the, the first thing I noticed was the transition game and how well him and William Carlson together were able to make things happen on the move fast. And William Carlson ended up with a lot of assists just bouncing a puck off of Riley Smith's blade. <laughs> right. uh, he he was incredible at those little chip-ins and those on, on the fly. Um, a lot of one-timers, you know, yeah. and it, it's this, I think with the transition game, you have to think fast and it's almost not even thinking. It's just intuitively, I know where to be. Uh, you know, it's that instinct to just, I'm going to get to this place and make myself available for my line mate to just get me the puck and I'll get it fast. And I I loved what I saw of Riley Smith doing that continually. They're, they're coming up ice fast. Well, he gets, you know, to pass to William Carlson right back to Riley Smith. And he's always in front of the net, always has his blade open, always knows where to be. Uh, And, and like you said, I don't want to overblow Riley Smith as if he's some 45, 50 goal scorer, but the ability to have that from a second line winger that had a guy that has that instinct that somebody like Malkin, like you said, can can kind of blow up a little bit, you know, inflate that a little. I'm excited to see what he can bring. Yeah, in terms of of overall ice time, by the end of the season, he'll end up as their as their fifth or sixth forward, mm-hmm. um, and and that's why it's really important that he has that versatility that you just mentioned, and I, and you even brought it up a little bit ago, where uh, you know the the Penguins, it seems like they're going to use him on the penalty kill a little bit too, and a lot of the those moments that you saw when you were when you're talking about with uh, him and Carlson going up ice. William Carlson, not Eric Carlson. Right. Um, a lot of those moments did happen on the penalty kill too. So you can mm-hmm. see that how that's already going to bleed into to all these different areas of the game that maybe the Penguins weren't where they wanted to be last season. And it's it's nice with him as well that you know we're we're talking so much about his transition game and the defensive game, but to have a guy like that who can also give you solid power play minutes as well. Scored a couple power play goals last season uh, and and seemed to me that he he knows how to use his shot on the power play. He knows how to get into the right uh, position to let that one-timer go. Um, that was exciting to me because now you have a situation with the Penguins and you talked uh, in your Substack about what William or Eric Carlson is going to bring to the uh, to the power play. I think that Having somebody like Eric Carlson come on to the power play now, and then another guy like Riley Smith, who who has these instincts that we're talking about, now you have maybe no really hole on either of the two power plays. And I think that that in and of itself, if the power play, as you alluded to in the in the uh, Substack article, um, if the power play comes up a little bit, that just raises the whole offense a little bit. And again, just having these guys who are instinctive hockey players, I think is never a bad thing. Yeah. The one other thing that, um, that I, I really, that, that really stuck out to me about Smith's game. Mm-hmm. And you said it, his ability to find open space yeah. and, and those little pockets of ice at the right time. There's, there's a lot of, Anybody can be coached on where you're supposed to go, but it's a lot harder to entangle that with the timing of it and and getting to your spots at the right time. And on a lot of the goals he scored last year, he's not even in the frame until the last possible second. And he's whether he's flying in off the rush or hopping in from the other side of the ice, it always seemed like he was getting to his spots at per at 
perfect times, mm-hmm. perfect times. And and we've been talking. You mentioned his one timer ability. He's he's very very good. Um, he's not one of those guys that like when he receives the puck or is is hopping on a loose puck. He's not one of those guys that uh, Ryan Paling was a guy that did this last year that kind of drove me a little bit crazy. And I, I feel like it probably <laughs> held him back a little bit as much as I did like him. Um, he tried to over stick handle too much. Mm-hmm. It, it's like he's, his hands are going too fast and he was a fast skater, but his hands were going too fast for his feet. Smith is not a guy that's going to try and, and over stick handle or over dangle. Yeah. He's got some hands, but he doesn't need to corral the puck and, and dust it off once or twice for him to make an effective pass or or get a good shot off. He's he can do it in almost instantaneous. Right or wrong, how many times have you heard fans of the Penguins you know, or read on Twitter, you know, they need to shoot the puck faster. They need to get rid of the puck faster. There now that is also always overblown. Yeah. <laughs> but there is some truth to what you just said. Get rid of the puck fast, especially if you're taking a shot. That's why I love one-timers so much. The goalie has very very little time to react. Instead of receiving the pass, stick hand or two, and then shoot, pick your spot. Just let it rip sometime. I mean, like, there's, a play, there's a time and a place for everything. But I loved watching him in on YouTube um, just letting the puck rip. There was no thought. There was no... It was just, I get it. I let it rip. One-timer. You know, just... just just go, just shoot, just shoot, just shoot. And I think the Penguins need a little bit more of that. There, there's definitely some confidence in his abilities. And, and as he should, he's, he's been a really effective NHL player over the course of his mm-hmm. career. Um, something that Mike Sullivan talks about a lot is the ability to play the game quickly. And a lot of the time, or, or, or playing the game with speed, right? A lot of the time people think that means, oh, you know, Kasperi Kapanen blazing up ice in a straight line as fast as you can. Well, yeah, you want to you want to have that kind of speed. Um, but every NHL team, you know, they're, they're slow teams and fast teams, but every single team has guys that can burn by you. Right. Mm-hmm. Speed alone, as we've we saw with Kapanen, yep. isn't enough to be an effective NHL player or, you know, if, if you predicate your team around having a bunch of fast guys, well, that's not going to be good enough <laughs> just to get you by and, and get you to where you want to be. When Sullivan's talking about playing with speed or playing the game quickly, he's, he's definitely talking about foot speed, but he's also talking about processing the game quickly, making decisions quickly. And that ties into being prepared and having a little bit of foresight and knowing where you're going to go with the puck if if XYZ happens. And if um, hockey's a reads-based game and it's the ability to tie those reads into quick processing power. And I, I think Smith will be able to bring that. This whole conversation lends itself to what do the power plays look like? Uh, for me, I think the first power play, I think for everybody, the first power play is pretty, you know, Obvious. <laughs> you've got uh, Carlson on the point. Uh, you've got Gino with him on the point. You have Sid, uh, Gensel, and Raquel when everyone's healthy. And I think that's a formidable power play unit. Um, second power play, though, when everybody's healthy, it's kind of where it gets a little it's quite mm, the, uh, it's a murky. It's a hodgepodge of Hod- random ass NHL it's, players. It's not quite a hodgepodge of nothingness <laughs> to steal a line from Boston uh, sports people. But it, yeah, it's uh, so where do we start? I mean, like, like the, the first and obvious question, because he was there last year. Well, hang on, hang on. 
Okay. Here, here's where we start. Here, all right, let's Chris go. Le, Chris Letang's your second Chris power Letang play quarterback. Chris is your second power which, play which quarterback. Is a, which is a great start. That's probably the best second power play quarterback in the NHL at that point. You know, I, I'd have to take a look around the league, but I... Off the top of my head, I can't think of any. I can't imagine. I know people... Letang was driving people crazy on the power play last year. There aren't six or seven better power play no. quarterbacks no. in the NHL than Letang. No. So... You know, you got you got him on your your second pairing. So, I, so Chris Letang, second power play guy. Uh, who is on the point with him? Do they go a fourth forward like they did last year and like they do on the first power play unit, or does somebody like POJ really get an opportunity to to be on the second power play with Letang? I really don't know. <laughs> I want to say that. They might run two forwards. Like last year, they had they had guys like even when when Granlin came in after the trade deadline, like Granlin was out there with the second power play right. unit. So they were running four forwards and a defenseman. Now looking at the available options beyond who's going to be on on the top unit, I'm not sure if there's four forwards there <laughs> that would be you know, worth putting out there over just having another offensive defenseman and, and Joseph out there on the point. So the, the options at, at forward. So we'll just, we're going to, we're obviously rust is on the, on this unit. Yeah. Assuming he doesn't magically uh, yeah. use his, his in with Sullivan and, and <laughs> to, end up, to, to end up on the first power play but instead of Raquel. Let, let's assume rust Riley Smith, who we've been talking about, uh, then from there, <laughs> you get who's who's your center? Is it who's taking face? Lars Eller or I don't want to say it, but Jeff Carter. <laughs> I as as awesome as as Dubis has been, and for you know the the giant breath of fresh air that has been breathed into the organization right. since the last regime was canned. It seems like a lot of people forgot that Jeff Carter's still on this roster. And if he's on the roster, he's gonna play. Can I play devil's advocate with Jeff Carter? Did he are we may, gonna are we gonna do this right now? He may have just had a bad season. And maybe if you shelter his minutes and you put him down on as like a fourth line winger in the lineup, okay, and he's only playing seven, ten minutes a game tops. Maybe when he's on that second power play unit, he's a little more fresh and a little more, you know, he's only going to be out there on power plays for 45 seconds at a time. Maybe there's something there or am I just trying to be the eternal optimist if I have my Yenzer goggles on? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, in theory, yeah, I agree. That said, and I'm not even going to contradict you here. What I will say is that at the end of last season, uh, myself included, everybody was given Sullivan flack for continuing to ice Carter and having him in the lineup when he know, just clearly was a black hole, clearly a black hole. I mean, directly responsible for three goals in a game in New York, a big game that they had to win, uh, you know, midpoint of the season, three quarter point of the season. At some point, Carter was not being utilized in the same fashion he was being utilized from the time he was acquired up until, you right. know, around the this game, okay? Mm-hmm. I I want to say it was right around the time the Penguins 
regular season had ended. So it was maybe the first, second week of the playoffs. I made a chart. It was like a rolling average of Carter's all situations ice time. And Mm -hmm. then another one of a rolling average of his uh, five on five ice time throughout the season. Well, if you look at both of those charts, the last 30 games of the season, Carter's ice time literally was just a downward slope. Like Sullivan was very, very aware that he was ineffective, Mm -hmm. didn't have anything left. And during that time, yeah, they were still using him as their as their second power play center. And I didn't think he looked all that much better. Now, we could sit here and say, well, is Carter, you know, with with this offseason, did he take it seriously? And is he prepared to, you know, come back and, and shut everybody up about the season? No one yet? knows. We, no one knows, but I, I know what I've seen the past two seasons, and I know yeah. what late play, what NHL players in their late thirties look like. Yeah. The exception being the core here. Um but if, if it's not Carter, and like I, I do think he's going to be in the lineup when the season starts, he he might legitimately be your best option as your as your he, center on your second be, power play unit. I, I want to take this a different direction because they did bring in some some fresh bodies, and there are some younger options available. Um, starting with guys that we know, Drew O'Connor. I mean, he's he's definitely an option, but I don't know if he is the right option, but he's going to be in this mix. You've got Noah Chari. Uh, I don't think Pitlick is a guy that you want to see on your power play. <laughs> um, but then there's some guys that maybe won't be on the NHL roster that this training camp in this preseason, I would love to see them uh, maybe live up to some of the potential that, that we've, you know, we've heard uh, those guys being Vinny Heinestroza, uh, Val, uh, Valtteri Pustinen would be another one that I'd love to see, you know, crack the lineup. Um, Alex Nylander would be one that has the talent, but just hasn't seemed to been able to put it together yet. Uh, and then, you know, I, we don't know what Sam, what to expect from Sam Poole and, and maybe he just needs another year in the AHL just to kind of get things right. Uh, but there are some options, some younger options if some of these guys can figure it out to the point where Sullivan can can trust them, do you see a chance on any one of those names? the The problem is maybe one of those guys could could vie for like the fourth forward spot if they were going to knock yeah. Joseph off of there. But the problem here is that, with the exception of uh, of everyone you mentioned there, with the exception of O'Connor, none of them really have played much center which means that they're not going to be able to take power play face off. So it's still going to be one of the, it's going to be one of Lars Eller or it's going to be Lars Eller, yeah. Nolachari or or Jeff Carter barring some late addition nope. to this roster. Um do you it, think with the with with Nolachari being in Toronto last year, Dubas traded for him and Ryan O'Reilly in the St. Louis deal. He did show some scoring pop and he did show some ability while he was in Toronto with higher end talent. Uh, he seems to be like maybe an intriguing option here, at least. Uh, I, I don't know that he's a better option than Lars Eller or Jeff Carter, but I don't think that he's a worse option than either of the two of them. I, you know, yeah, I mean, he, he, especially of that group, I could see playing that, that net front role. I mean, Achari's kind of like a, a, a banger, a modern day banger yeah. type. Like he's running around with a lot of energy looking to throw hits. 
Um, it, it's kind of interesting. Some years he like can't score at all. And some years he like pops off for 15 or 20 goals. So it'll be interesting to see if the Penguins are able Which to Atari capture, we get, right. if the Penguins are able to capture one of those seasons, but because he has in the past put up a decent number of goals and, and knowing the skill set that he brings, um, and because he, he can play center and take face offs, which, you know, is super important here all of a sudden. Right. Right. Um, I could see him taking on that role. I mean, I, I I already said it, but Carter still might be your best option, especially if it's between like him and and Nieto. Because the thing you got to remember is that Eller and Achari, especially, they were brought in to be utilized heavily in defensive, defensive situations, situations, whether that's defensive zone starts at full strength or being out on on the penalty kill units. So um, it, it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, they're bottom sixers and they're not getting a ton of all situations ice time, but I'm also curious to see if they might try and manage those minutes a little bit so that, you know, you don't have guys like Achari or Eller who are out there for literally every different game state. So then I think this begs to kind of wrap this all up. The This begs the question. Obviously, I think we got an upgrade at, the, the Penguins got an upgrade at the top of their lineup. Did they do enough to upgrade the bottom six of the lineup and the second power play unit and some of the penalty kill units? Because that really was the problem last year. You talked about it last week, and I think everybody that even remotely pays attention to the Pittsburgh Penguins knows the top six is the top six. There there are some some dudes in that top six. Did they do enough this offseason to make the uh, role players better and the, you know, kind of the supporting cast better? Did Dubas do enough in that aspect? I will say that I am mildly concerned about the secondary scoring heading into the season, looking at the available options. However, it's encouraging that instead of not having any possibilities possibilities god i don't know where that word came from um <laughs> not having any possibility of or got it am i able to speak here <laughs> what i'm trying to say is that compared to not having anybody with the potential of making a significant jump in terms of production and overall impact now they have the andreas jansons they have that's a guy i forgot to mention yeah, yeah they've they've got guys like him they've got Nealander, Pustin in, Hinestroza. You know, the, the odds are stacked against all those guys to really actually become impact NHLers at this stage. But with that being said, they're they're making gambles on these guys and hoping that one of them inevitably it, hits. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what the Pittsburgh Pirates did two or three years ago, where we're not really concerned about how good of a prospect or like have they lived up to potential we're just going to bring a ton of prospects in we're just going to load up on prospects we're going to load up on guys and go with the percentages that one or two of these guys are going to hit and it's almost kind of what the penguins have done with with their like fringe you know maybe not quite ahl guys but not quite nhl guys there's five or six dudes that kind of fit that you know somewhere in the middle you know, uh, 13th, 14th forward kind of guys. And I think they're just, I think one of the things Dubas did was, you know, we'll, we'll load up on these dudes and hope that one or two of them show us enough to be NHL players and 
figure their potential out with this organization and this coaching and, you know, being around guys like Sid and Gino and Latang and Gensel and Carlson now, you know, maybe some of that will rub off on some of these dudes and we'll get, get a little lucky. And I think when you're so cap strapped, like the penguins are, um, I think just off camera, we were talking, you said they're about 70 grand over the cap right yeah, now. So that's a projection from, from cap friendly. Obviously sure. there's no, so there's, there's no room here to bring in somebody unless it's going to be a PTO. Um, and even then you still have to, when the season comes, figure that cap space out. So there's really not any room to play with, with the roster as it's currently constructed. So you do have to get a little lucky and hope that one or two of these guys pan out and figure things out. Look at the years they've won the cup, you know, just recently, the, the they had, back-to-back they had Mark cup straight, years. Yeah, they, not even playing. <laughs> yeah, but they had guys that came out of nowhere that were like, oh, he's good. Like, this dude's playing good hockey. Yeah, this Scott guy, Wilson playing yeah. top six minutes. Yeah, yeah. So you need an element of that to make a cup run or to make a playoff run. Every team that makes those runs has these guys that at the beginning of the season, nobody thought about. I mean, look at uh, the the year they beat San Jose in the Stanley Cup. Mid-season, people were ready to throw Nick Benino off a cliff. Oh, yeah. He, he, <laughs> in fact, I think both regular seasons that he played with the Penguins, were, he went through some like severe yeah. goal-scoring droughts and, throughout and the year. And then he figured it out. Yeah. You know, and, and the way they deployed him changed. And, you know... It, there's always that option that some there's going to be a surprise. And I think the Penguins are a prime example of a team that's going to need one or two of those surprises this season. I agree. I, I really like the line of thinking here. My head jumps to from that point, though, I start to think about where they fit in with the other guys that, you know, are going to be in the lineup. Mm hmm. I, I will I do think that each of the guys we talked about have a possibility of becoming what we're talking about here. Um, but they all seem like the kind of guys that are gonna need a little bit of help from who they're playing with. So then you look, it's like, well, we, I, I said it five, ten minutes ago, Jeff Carter's gonna be in the lineup. Jeff Carter is an anchor. So how do you get Vinny Hinnestroza or Andreas Janssen going in the I bottom think- six if you have them? I think the opportunity is you manage, and I don't know that Sullivan will do this, but you take a book out of, or take a page out of the NBA book and manage Carter's minutes. He doesn't have to play 82 games. He doesn't have to play 70 games. He's what, 40, 39, 40 now? He's 38 now. 38, okay. So why play him 82 games? Why, if he's healthy, why play him every time you have to play him? Let him sit a little bit. That's just the politics of the NHL. Right, but break that there's no rule that says you can't break that <laughs> i mean if you're if you're serious about winning try it i agree i mean i said it last year sullivan every time he said yeah we're putting the best line the lineup out there that we think gives us the best chance to win and how can you say that when you're putting jeff carter in your life yeah, right? i mean i'm fine with jeff carter if i don't see a lot of jeff carter i think that are you fine with him though? Because you have no other choice. To yes. Be? Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, like I that's really what this boils down to. Uh, we're past the point, and I, I, I'm honestly not with you, but I'm a little annoyed that we let this turn into like a Carter talk here because it's <laughs> it's it's been beat to a dead, like we're beating a dead right. horse here. But, but the thing is, is we know he's here. There's nothing that anyone can do about it. Short of, and I would never wish injury on him on anybody, but short of something like that happening, he's gonna, like you said, he's going to be in this lineup. So 
now what do you do? You deploy him in a way that makes sense rather than just keep throwing him out there the way they did last year. Right, but I, I said it earlier, there was a point in the season in the latter stages when they did make that adjustment. Yeah, and when it just he, didn't, when he was yeah, playing work. fourth line and, and he still wasn't very effective. It, it was so hilarious. There were... I'm not even going to bring it up. Enough with the Carter stuff. Do you, okay? you see what these are? These, these are called Yenzer goggles. So I'm optimistic. <laughs> Carter's going to be fun. No, I can't. I can't even get it out jokingly. I will. I think this is a great spot to just say good episode, Danny. <laughs> if if anything, I feel like this has opened up plenty of of stuff for us to talk about moving uh, forward. Next episode on breakdowns and breakaways, we will go into a deep dive of Jeff Carter and his minutes and his production. <laughs> You know, when, uh, when I was, still, we won't, I promise we won't. When I was still working the, uh, the beat for DK Pittsburgh sports, the, the season had ended and I had to write something on like a random weekday and it, it's really tough coming up with, with off season content. And, you know, I was like, let me just take a look. Everybody's completely over Carter is completely, you know, succumb to the idea that he's a complete net zero. Let me just do like an actual thorough review, <laughs> thorough analysis here to see if there's any, anything anything left to squeeze out of this guy. And I did. I, I wrote an in-depth piece. It was basically like, no, there's not a left to squeeze out of him. And, and one of the first comments on there was like, did we really need another Carter sucks deep dive? And while he is obviously relevant to the conversation we're having here, that's what pops into my mind every yeah. time we keep talking about it. I, I think... To put a nice bow on this, if you're talking about the second power play unit with the Pittsburgh Penguins, Jeff Carter's name has to come up. And I think that that's where this is. Um, hopefully they find a way to to work around that. But as it stands right now, it's Jeff Carter or Lars Eller or maybe Nolachari in that center to at least start the season. And then we'll see where it goes from there. Uh, again, I think that's a nice way to end this. You got anything else for anyone? No. I don't either. So we'll see everyone next week. Same time, same YouTube channel. And uh, thanks for hanging out with us and talking some hockey.